I have a guest with me today that I'm really anxious for all of you to meet for a bunch of different reasons. Now, he's a fellow cop, he's a fellow trainer, um, but he has turned his thoughts and some of his experiences um, into a, a uh, he's frankly, he's becoming a media sensation. So I, I <laughs> thought you'd better meet him. Brian Tillman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sergeant. I appreciate you for having me on. So tell folks just uh, a little bit of your background and how you came to be the police. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a little bit about me. I'm from Southern California and uh, went, to, went to high school, Rialto High School. And uh, after that, I went and graduated from there, went to college at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So I spent about five or six years of my life out in Vegas, which was uh, one of the best times of my life, to say the least. And then uh, I met my beautiful bride out there and we uh, I moved back home once I met her after I graduated. And uh, shortly after we got married and I end up uh, she ended up becoming pregnant with our first child. So at the time I was working, I think at Abercrombie and Fitch and I was doing insurance. And it was like the worst things ever. Like I still think I'm gonna get cancer from all the perfume we, we sprayed or cologne we sprayed in the Abercrombie store. But that's neither here nor there. And so uh, when my wife got pregnant, I had to start thinking about what other ways I can provide for my family, my new family, my growing family. And because insurance and Abercrombie wasn't going to cut it. So my dad's best friend was a captain for a police department. And he for years was like, hey, Ryan, you should become a police officer. And sadly, I was like, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not working for the man. Uh, that, that was just my whole mentality, simply because growing up, I didn't really like police officers. I always thought cops were uh, guys that got picked on in high school. So they became police officers so they could pick on everybody else. Like that was my mentality. And uh, so it wasn't going to be me. And so when your back is up against the wall and your wife is looking at you like, Hey, you need to do something to provide for us. Uh, you, sometimes you start to venture out and to do certain, uh, do different things in your life. So that's exactly what happened. I prayed about it and I asked God, Hey, open the door for me, show me what you want me to do. And the door for law enforcement just flew open. Quite frankly, I applied for multiple different, a few different agencies, uh, and I literally, from the moment I put my first application in to the moment I got hired, it was about three months, which was unheard of. And so I went to the police academy, graduated number two overall in my class, and uh, went to work for the Chino Police Department, which was has been nothing but a blessing. And I'm so glad that I actually follow God and, and his will for my life. So you became a police officer and, you, you know, you obviously you made some big changes in your life. And, uh, and then you started to do uh, some social media things, podcasting, to tell other people, uh, not just about your experiences, but also some of the realities of police work nationwide, didn't you? Talk about that. Of course. So it actually it started um, before the social media stuff. I had, it was right around the time that, um, in, when Ferguson went up in flames, when Michael Brown was killed. And I never forget feeling like just feeling ashamed of being a police officer for a minute, especially because as a black man, as a black man, uh, you know, in our culture is not really being the police is not something that we all strive to do. And so I almost felt ashamed for a little bit. But then I started thinking about it from a different perspective. And I realized like a lot of people, a lot of people in our community don't understand why we do things as law enforcement officers. So I set out on a mission and that's actually where my, my company, Breaking Barriers United, was started. I started out, I said, you know, I'm going to go out there into all the neighborhoods and really break down what it is that we do and why we do it and how we do it. So I started doing seminars in churches. And then from churches, I went to schools, from schools, I went to colleges, 
and it just kept evolving. But one thing that was kind of interesting was, as I was doing all this work in my local neighborhood, in my community, but outside of my community, nobody really knew what else I was doing. And so fast forward, I met a really good friend of mine. He's become my media manager. His name is Billy. And Billy approached me and said, hey, uh, I, I've been watching what you're doing from afar. I like what you're doing. Uh, I'd be interested in coming alongside of you and maybe helping you with some of your social media. So I, I said, let's do it. I hired him for three months. It was a risk that I took, but it was probably one of the best things that ever paid off. And we start creating social media content. And over time, it started evolving. And what it evolved into was me educating people of the why and the what uh, when it comes to law enforcement. So I will do breakdowns of police videos. I will educate people by giving people Tillman tips. And then I just have good conversation. And it's funny, you know, I met your husband uh, at, at Brandon Tatum's event and I was watching his videos long before I was doing the social media stuff. And I was telling him that his videos inspired me to kind of go out there and be a new age of education. And if, if you're listening to this and not familiar with what his videos were, he would make videos of breakdowns for police officers that we would watch in briefing settings. So anytime I would go 10-8, we would go to briefing, watch some of the videos, talk about how we can do things better as officers. And then I kind of had a light bulb moment. I was like, I, we should do the same thing, but do it for the community as well. So that way the community could understand why we did what we did. And so I've been doing that for shoot, almost four or five years now. And, you know, the, the, the lid has just kind of been blown off. Well, and I got to tell you, Ryan, you are a gifted public speaker, whether in person or <laughs> on camera. And I think that's one of the reasons that you're so successful in what you do. And another reason why people are drawn to you be, because very similar to my husband, you don't lecture um, and you don't, you don't always say, oh, the police are right. This officer <laughs> did all the right things um, because that's not true, right? Cops are, um, cops are people too. Um, sometimes we screw up. Uh, sometimes when we do make mistakes, sometimes we come back and do things successfully. Sometimes we don't. Um, sometimes we get ourselves hurt. And you talk about all that stuff, don't you? Yeah. You know, sadly, sometimes people like to put law enforcement on a pedestal. And when they do that, they forget that we're human beings. They forget that we're going to make mistakes just like anybody else. I always tell people the number one most unpredictable thing in life no matter uh, what you compare it to is human nature. Human nature is the most unpredictable thing in life. And so just because we have a badge and a gun on doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be perfect. And so what's sadly what's happened is mainstream media is almost made it seem like a majority of law enforcement is bad and the whole system is just corrupt. When the reality is, is that a majority of law enforcement is good and a majority of officers are doing the right thing. But we do have some of those people that have made bad decisions or, um, you know, not done the right things from a moral standpoint, or ethical standpoint. So I realized early on, I said, in order for me to gain credibility amongst the community, especially the minority community, when it comes to law enforcement, I have to be willing to go out on a limb and call it call it bad when we do it. And, it, and it's tough because I'm still cur I'm, I'm a current police officer. And one of the things we always say in law enforcement is we shouldn't be Monday morning quarterbacking. And, and, I, and I agree with that to an extent, but at the same time, we also have to be able to acknowledge our wrongs. So that way, when we do get it right and it looks like it's wrong, people will be more apt to hearing what you have to say because they know that you're going to tell it one way or the other. Uh, and that's such a great point. Absolutely. Now, Ryan, we're living in an era now where a lot of politicians and people in the media and activists are telling people, especially young people, that the number one danger 
to the black community is American law enforcement. Hmm. Um, what do you have to say about that? And how can we get past that? So one, it's complete, that's complete false, uh, completely false. I mean, there's so many other things that are killing us right now. The number of three leading cause of death right now is medical malpractice. And without me going into it, I'm medical malpractice is killing black people more than anything right now. Traffic collisions are. Uh, again, I talk about, you know, the statistics of actually what your odds of actually being killed by police officers are super small, very, very small. And here's the crazy thing about that is that when it comes to law enforcement and your interaction with them, for the most part, you kind of dictate the actions of the officer. So you can control what you can control when it comes to interactions with law enforcement. You can't do that when it comes to medical malpractice. You can't do that with car accidents. If you get in a car right now and somebody veers off and goes the opposite way of traffic, you're dead. No matter what you did, you can't control that. If you go into an operation room and you know you you think you have the best doctor, but the medical doctor makes a mistake while you're under the while you're under the knife, you can't control that. But when it comes to law enforcement interaction, you can control how that that situation is going to go you can cooperate with the officers do what they tell you to do put your hands in the air don't make any sudden movements be respectful be kind you can dictate the response that you're going to get from that officer but we don't want to take accountability and that's what we have to get down to and so to answer you the second part of that question is where do we go from here how do we do what how do we improve this um, as officers we have to take it upon us to go out there and educate people about our profession you know sadly people are afraid of the unknown and so when you don't know why we do what we do and how we do what we do you're just going to be um, you're going to be so um, influenced by going by what you see in the media or what your friends or family say that you go along with whatever whatever they throw at you even if it's false and so we have to be better at educating people but at the same time as community members because I'm still a community member we still got to be able to uh, hold each other accountable. Did you lose friends or family members when you became a cop? Uh, you know what? Yes, but I've since regained those people. And I think when people initially, when I start doing it, people thought I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And it wasn't even just people outside of law enforcement. I actually had people within law enforcement that didn't like what I was doing. They thought I was doing it to get promoted. They thought I was doing it to, to kiss up to my supervisor, the, the, the typical nonsense that we deal with like high school. And then I had people on the outside that uh, didn't like what I was doing because they thought I was doing it for the wrong reasons. They thought I was doing it to as a, uh, a promo for law enforcement. But I think I've been doing it for so long that people really see my heart and they've seen me call it good and bad. And so over time, those people that were swayed to not like me initially have since rekindled that relationship with me because they realize my heart and they understand uh, my message and my mission behind what I'm trying to accomplish. Now you got involved in a book by uh, Brandon Tatum. He is, uh, for people who don't know him, go to theofficertatum.com. Um, and uh, Brandon wrote a book called Beaten Black and Blue about being a black cop in America. But then he goes beyond that and he doesn't just tell his own story. He lets other people in his life, and you are one of them, tell their stories about being an American law enforcement officer. Talk about that project. Yeah, so it was good. Brandon Tatum is a phenomenal guy. And it's so funny, uh, having gotten to know Brandon Tatum on a personal level, 
he and I are so similar to each other in so many different ways, like from playing college football with one another to having a bad outlook about law enforcement. So we're very similar. And so when he reached out to me about participating in his book, I thought it was a phenomenal opportunity because any chance I get to, to be a voice to what's going on in our current society, I don't want to miss that opportunity if I have the ability to educate somebody on what's going on. And so when it comes to the book, one of my things, my missions was is to really just shed light to everybody and what it's like to be a black police officer, because whether people realize it or not, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, it is different because uh, and it's not just being a black police officer as a, as a female, you face certain, you know, things as a, as a woman in, in, law, in a male, a predominantly male profession that some people may not understand. And so when it came to his book, I wanted to be able to voice like, Hey, you know what? I love being a law enforcement officer, but there's different there's different outlooks and different perspectives that we got to view view of view things through, because when you do it that way, it will now allow you to have a level of empathy for everybody, not just police officers, but the community that you serve. And I think once you start to develop develop a level of empathy, then you'll start to develop that level of respect for people. And once you develop respect for people, then those people will come to love you. And so that's one of the things I've always done is I try to lead with empathy, try to earn respect. So that way I can turn, I can receive love and give love. What would you say to a young person who is thinking, boy, you know, I, I always thought law enforcement might be kind of a cool job, but in this, um, in, in the, the last 18 months of absolute vilification of American law enforcement, it's not looking like the fun job that it, that it <laughs> used to be. Um, what would you say to them? I probably take some criticism for what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I've always said it, is that I think right now is one of the best times to be a police officer. And obviously, from the outside looking in, it's very difficult to be a police officer. And that, and in that sense, it is, it is one of the worst times to be a police officer because we're being attacked and criticized more than ever. But the reason I always say it's the best is because we have the opportunity to go out there and really change the profession for what it was meant to do in the first place. You know, we have to acknowledge the past. We have to acknowledge that, you know, law enforcement hasn't always been all great and dandy as we once perceived it to be. You know, when you go back to the civil rights movement and you see, you know, police officers that were part of the KKK or standing up and at rallies, or you, you fast forward and you see, you know, the corruption and the rampart scandal, there was a lot of things, a lot of dirt that we've done in our profession. But now, you know, with all eyes on us and everybody wanting law enforcement to get better, I tell people, like, if you want to be uh, if you want to find a solution to these problems, why don't you go out there and be the solution? And in order to be the solution, you got to become a police officer. You know, there's no better way to shape the way and shape the future of law enforcement than by getting involved, becoming a police officer, understanding what we do and why we do it. So that way, it's not just me going out there and spreading this education. It's a whole bunch of me's going out there and spreading this education. So, you know, my, my, my cousin said it best a long time ago who's a successful entrepreneur and he said you know what ryan a lot of times when people see a burning building everybody starts to run away from it um but i kind of always look at life through the lens of you know when i see that burning building i'm running towards it and i'll wait for the firefighters to put it out because once that building is you know the, the fire is put out you're now going to get that building at a discount nobody's going to want it because it's going to be all tarnished but then now you can go in there and you can re renovate the place do it how you want to do it, do it at a discount. And so that way, when it's, you get the finished product, it's a much better building with a lot much firmer foundation than it was before. And that's kind of how I view our profession is I'm running towards it. I want to be able to make it better. I want to be a part of the reform as opposed to sitting on the sidelines. So that way, when I pan pass this over to our next generation, uh, they have something better than I inherited. What's been your favorite thing so far about being a cop? And, and, and in that, I also want you to talk about your favorite assignment because you're, you're doing some cool stuff. 
<laughs> uh, favorite part about being a police officer is just my ability to interact with people every single day. And not one day is ever the same in law enforcement. I mean, you know that just as much as I do is every single day you go to work, you just never know what you're going to get. And so as opposed to working a monotonous desk job and no knock to people that work a desk job uh, in law enforcement, every day you're going to get something different. And then as far as my favorite assignment, um, you'll probably be surprised, maybe you won't, but one of my favorite, favorite assignments was being a school resource officer. I mean, that was, you know, I didn't go into that, that job or that assignment knowing how fun it was going to be. And the reason it was so fun is because I got to see a lasting impact that I made on every single one of those students. So, you know, those students were, I, I treated them like they were my own kids. Uh, I actually had a video that I did where I, when I got promoted that I did a dancing video and it went viral. Uh, that was seen all over the place. And so those are some of the most memorable moments that I'll take to my grave with me. Now, on that, uh, I, part of the defund the police movement or the vilification of American law enforcement is we're seeing police officers taken out of school resource officer programs. Because again, there's that talk that police officers are somehow dangerous <laughs> to our youth. Um, what do you say to that? What and and how can we? What can we say to school administrators and school boards who have this wrong impression of police in the schools? One is one of the worst things that we can do uh, because I think in the mind what and, and part of that is our fault as law enforcement. I think we've allowed people to uh, perceive or create what the school resource officers jobs as opposed to creating the job ourselves and telling people this is what we're here to do. So we've allowed people to vilify us and think that we're on campuses to, you know, take kids to jail, arrest them, give them citations, enforce uh, tardiness. That's not what we're there to do. We're there to be a resource. That's why school resource officer is in the name, the resources in the name is because we're there to be a resource for not just the students, but the staff. And we're also there to protect your kids in the event that something um, South goes wrong, like an active shooter. And there's so many different things that we're, or so many different reasons we're on those campuses. But the way we fix it, as opposed to just getting rid of the school resource officer pro, uh, program, instead of focusing on that, what we need to do is focus on getting the right officers into our schools. I think that's been the problem. Um, you know, sometimes historically speaking uh, and traditionally and culturally, uh, we've put, you know, people that are not in, in good graces with the department, we put them in the role as a school resource officer. We put the guy that's ready to retire in the role as a school resource officer. Those are not the people you want to schools because they're grumpy. They don't like to interact with kids. They don't like to interact with people in general. And then the next time when they go out and do something and you see a viral video go on, we expect them to, to act otherwise when we knew that they were a problem in the first place. So I think instead of saying, you know what, let's get rid of the school resource officer program. I think we need to pay more attention on vetting what officers are going into these schools, making sure these school resource officers can identify with the kids, make sure they can establish a relationship and connection with the kids and the students and make sure that they can be a beacon and an example of what it is that your, your agency reflects within the community. So uh, I think that's one of the way we solve this problem as opposed to throwing the baby out with bathwater. So I'm hoping that you're moving toward a uh, leadership position as you further your police career. What, give me two or three things that you'd like to see all police leaders do to improve, not just the law enforcement efforts in their community, but improve the organization for their people. So first and foremost, stand up for your people and don't bend because of social pressure. Uh, that, that's got to be number one. Uh, what we've seen, sadly, is we see a lot of leaders cave to the social pre uh, pressure uh, because their jobs are on the line. And, I, and don't get me wrong, as a leader, 
you know, when you have that, 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 um, that 20,000 foot approach or view of what's going on, it's hard because you have a family, you have people to take care of, but at the same time, we always, we got into this profession to do the right thing for the right reasons. And we shouldn't let that uh, detour, we shouldn't get off, off our track now just because you're in a leadership role. So I think first and foremost, stand up for your people. If they've done the right things for the right reasons, make sure you defend them. Even if it doesn't look pretty, make sure you defend them. The second thing is, is focus on employee wellness. Uh, the number one leading cause of death right now is suicide by, for law enforcement officers. That's the number one leading cause of death. And so that's a problem. And so we have to be able to go and sit, figure out what's contributing to the suicides that our, that our officers are doing. And so we got to focus on employee wellness. And then the third thing I would say is just allow your employees to have fun. Uh, right now, there's a lot of people that are you scrutinizing law enforcement. I get it. You know, from a liability standpoint, we got to make sure we dot our I's and cross our T's. But don't take the fun out of the job. This is a very, very fun job. And so I think you can allow your employees to have fun, but just make sure obviously make sure you you know develop whatever constraints you need but allow them to have fun allow them to come to work and not to be afraid to show up and get in trouble so brian where can people learn more about you where can they find breaking barriers united and uh and just see your efforts everywhere so uh you can follow me on instagram uh and breaking barriers united it's very simple you can follow me on tiktok and breaking barriers united I am on YouTube on Breaking Bears United, and we will be actually starting a new segment called Takes with Tillman on YouTube. And so uh, that's going to be pretty cool. What we're going to be doing is I'm going to pull a lot of these people from in from my comment sections that are battling back and forth, and we're going to do break, breakdown videos together live on YouTube. So that will be a new segment coming up. And then uh, you can also go to my website, BreakingBearsUnited.com, if you want to have me out to speak at your organization or something like that. Ryan, I'm so excited to have people meet you and learn more about you. And I thank you for spending time with us this morning. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.